0: Hello and welcome. My name is Sophia Besch and you're listening to the CER Podcast. Hello, welcome to a special episode of the CER Podcast. At the CER, events are usually limited to a small circle of invitees, but with the CER Podcast, we can ask our speakers to just sum up the important points of their presentation. For today, we have had the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Rob Wainwright right before he spoke at a CER dinner. Mr. Rainwright, of course, is the director of Europol, the EU's police agency. He has been in office since 2009, and under his leadership, Europol has really become a fully-fledged EU agency and a hub of European cooperation on counterterrorism and migration. Our CEO Research Fellow Camino Motera-Martinez has spoken to Mr. Rainwright about the challenges that Europol faces today, where he sees the agency going, and what the effects of Brexit will be for his work.
1: Enjoy. Mr. Wainwright, uh, thank you very much for being here with us. We are living interesting times. We have Trump, we have Brexit, we have populism, there's a lot of people who are retreating from the international stage and people distrust institutions, no least international institutions. Some think that structures like the one you are heading, Europol are not relevant anymore, they're not useful. What will you say to these people? Why is Europol really important today?
2: Well, I think um, in, in my world um, we've seen a marked shift towards the globalization of crime and terrorism. You know, the very nature of the terrorist threat in Europe right now is defined by the way in which it operates across multiple borders, the way in which it uses cyberspace undoubtedly uh, to support the activities of the groups involved. So we have a globalized threat that clearly needs to be met, therefore, uh, through multilateral institutions in order to help the, the countries involved really challenge um, the, the nature of that threat. So I think there's a great danger in a wholesale retreat from multilateralism um, because in my part of the European Union, at least, we are delivering very practical operational benefits in tens of thousands of cases each year to mitigate uh, the threat from terrorism and indeed to to crack down on organized crime groups right uh, right across Europe.
1: I'm going to play the devil's advocate here. Some might say that that has not been really efficient uh, recently because of the major shortcomings that we've been seeing in police and security cooperation during the past two years. I'm talking about the Charlie Hebdo, the Paris attacks, the Berlin attacks, uh, and Brussels, obviously. So what would you say we are doing wrong? And what could we do better to improve cooperation?
2: Well, certainly we've had a very challenging two-year period in which we've seen around a dozen significant terrorist incidents. And and, these constitute tragedy, of course, for the people uh, and societies of Europe. From my uh, point of view, though, I have seen many, many more uh, attempted terrorist attacks that have been successfully stopped. And the nature of the attacks that we've seen, I think, reflects just how uh, challenging and dynamic the threat is right now. Um, we're dealing with a large community in the thousands of radicalized individuals, some of whom have gone to Syria in Iraq and Iraq and pose an immediate danger on coming back, many of whom haven't, of course, as we've seen in the attacks in Berlin and Nice. The simple brutality of terrorism of a single lone actor hiring a truck um, without any real warning to the security authorities and carrying out the carnage that we've seen. So very difficult, I think, for security authorities uh, to to stop that kind of attack. And despite the evident success that they are, have had, I'm afraid the reality is, in, in, in the way in which we choose to live our lives at least, we cannot reduce that threat to zero. Uh, and I think that is the most important lesson from from what we've seen over the last two years.
1: We've seen under your leadership uh, that Europol has shifted a bit the focus uh, to migration as well. And I think that that's reflects a bit the, the, the shifting as well in, in the, the way we, we look at migration and the link with security uh, that perhaps was not there before. And as you know, some NGOs and some groups are not really happy about that. So I was wondering, what is the Europol can do to help untangling the unsolved European migration crisis?
2: Well, let's be very clear to NGOs and, and anyone else who's interested in this, um, uh, none of us Uh, want to see the uh, exploitation of migrants and refugees. I certainly don't want to stand idly by while I see uh, a community that's grown up very quickly in Europe of 50,000 suspected people smugglers that Europol has identified who are making a quick dollar out of the tragedy of the people that uh, have been flocking to Europe over the last two years. Let's make no mistake about it. This is a migration crisis that is significantly underpinned by criminal activity. In some of the analysis that we did of the migrants and refugees arriving in Italy, 90% of all of those that arrived had had their journey facilitated by a criminal enterprise. That puts people smuggling at the very heart of this crisis. And if we don't tackle it, therefore, as also a security problem alongside the many other things that we have to do to deal with the migrants and refugees, then we will surely not win. Uh, and it's my job and my intention at Europol to make sure that we don't allow criminals to exploit the situation and don't allow criminals to make what at the moment they're doing, which is at least 5 billion euros a year.
1: That's very clear, thanks. Let's move a a little bit um, towards Brexit. I know it's complicated, but um, Theresa May said last week in her Lancaster speech that she wants the UK to remain closely uh, involved in European security and police cooperation. And I was wondering, from your point of view, uh, whether that's actually possible, and if so, which which kind of models are you envisaging for the UK to have?
2: Well, whether or not it's possible, of course, is is subject to negotiations that will soon follow. Uh, I will not be party to those, uh, thankfully, in many respects. Um, It will be the job of the British government, of course, and political leaders in in Europe. I'm advising both parties, however, that security should be uh, a priority uh, for for those negotiations. Um, I reflect on the fact, of course, that the terrorist threat that we face in Europe and some very serious criminal and cyber-related threats operate in a way which clearly demand the closest possible cooperation, the most concerted effort across our borders and between our communities right right across Europe and indeed at Europol that's exactly what we manage to do right now We are running a security program which integrates also very many countries from outside the European Union those on our doorstep like Switzerland and Norway and those major players who can contribute to a security, Uh, work in Europe, which includes the United States. Now, from that perspective, I hope and perhaps expect the United Kingdom will therefore remain uh, an active, uh, indeed a leading member still, uh, in the uh, security community of of Europe. The modalities of of Britain's involvement will change, inevitably, uh, once it no longer is a member of the European Union, and, you know, the nature of those modalities and just what impact it will have uh, remains to be seen. Um, but I hope that security is treated with the priority that it that it deserves, in light of the uh, security threats that we face right
1: now. Let's hope so. Finally, let's look ahead. Europol has recently gotten more powers to access databases, which were previously reserved only to migration and uh, border control agencies. What do you think will be in store for Europol in the coming years?
2: Yes, I think Europol has become a more relevant, perhaps a more um, uh, instrumental factor in, in European security, driven in part at least by the conditions of uh, a terrorist threat, for example, that we have in, in Europe. Um, the new regulation that Europol will adopt and, and enter into force later this year indeed modernizes its capability, especially to manage data. And I see Europol developing still further Uh, as a very important, indeed a leading uh, uh, data science center, perhaps, in in the field of policing in in Europe, continuing to use technology in a smart way uh, to monitor uh, uh, the ever-increasing flows of terrorist and criminal activity across border. Uh, So I think I can only see Europol continuing to grow in the way that it has in the last five years, where we've seen at least a tripling of its caseload, a quadrupling of of the information that it's processing. The demands uh, facing on it now are are growing at an exponential rate. And one final remark I I make, I think, is in the last year especially, Europol has really grown up in the counter-terrorist community the last bastion of real uh, security interests which which Europol still had to claim a rightful place in. And and I still don't think that Europol is a leading force necessarily in that because we are dealing with something that is inherently a national security interest. But we've seen a tenfold increase in the amount of counter-terrorist data that member states have shared with Europol in the last uh, two years. And last year we contributed to over 120 major counter-terrorist investigations. So clearly terrorism now is here to stay as in, in terms of Europol's future, I think.
0: Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. You can find more on our website, cer.org.uk, or follow us on Twitter at cer-london.